Hi, everybody. David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. As you may also know, along with longtime friend and former client Randy Seidel, I'm also the co-host of the Sales Community Tech Sales Insight podcast series. As a bonus for my listeners, I thought I would include our most recent episode with Jeff Casali. Now, Jeff is a former Dell uh, VMware executive, an incredible operator, uh, you know, great background in terms of where he's been, what he's done. In our interview, he talked about, uh, you know, having Dick Egan, the E and EMC, on a call with him, and you know, the the profound comment that Dick made that everyone in the company sells. He tells a hysterical story about starting his sales career at EMC at a payphone at Waffle House in Arkansas with no customers and and literally making uh, you know cold calls from a payphone. Uh, he talks a lot about the evolution of this pandemic and what he believes will happen to enterprise tech selling. And I really appreciate his comment about exceptional sales leaders and that combination of EQ with servant leadership. So I hope uh, this is of interest and value to you. I hope you'll make the time to listen to this bonus uh, episode. And uh, I would encourage you to check out salescommunity.com slash podcast. Every week we interview some phenomenal technology sales executives who are talking about profound impact in their careers and uh, attributes of, of great sales reps and managers and leaders and, and some really fundamental uh, attributes, fundamental ideals that have shaped not just their career, but who they've become. So I'd encourage you to check out, again, salescommunity.com slash podcast or whatever you consume podcasts. Look for Tech Sales Insights. Enjoy. Our guest today on the Tech Sales Insight podcast is Jeff Casali. Randy, you've known Jeff for a while. Tell us a little about him. We were both at EMC early on. He's uh, a lot younger than me by probably uh, at least a year or two and uh, excelled early on in the sales career and uh, was fortunate enough to stay there in a, a lot of different roles. But Jeff is extremely measured, calm, cool, collected, still is a you know fantastic sales executive, but really has uh, you know risen to the occasion of several senior roles that he's uh, done over time. And I've uh, known him to be a, a terrific uh, father and husband as well. Look forward to learning more from Jeff. Absolutely. I'm David Knorr, your co-host of the Tech Sales Insights. As the nature of technology sales continues to evolve, so do the skills and the traits that enable tech sales professionals to thrive. The transformation to a more data-savvy selling supremo is being expedited by the global pandemic and the trends of home working, remote selling, and increased reliance on digital ecosystems. The technology sales professional and their leaders of the future must integrate their digital skills with a relationship-led welcoming personality and a personal brand committed to exceptional experiences. Along with Randy Seidel, the sales community founder, each week we'll interview sales professionals, managers, and leaders on how they're thinking and leading differently in the tech sales evolution. So let's get started.
Hi, everybody. David here. I want to quickly tell you about another sales community event I'm really excited about. I hope you'll mark your calendar and join us next Thursday, December 17th at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be presenting your 10x on revenue generation strategy visualization. Here's what we found out. Way too many sales organizations make their product services unique value add entirely overcomplicated. What if you could tell a more compelling story, a visual one on one page, to engage, to influence your audience to think and behave differently? Again, it's next Thursday, December 17th at 3 p.m. Eastern for your 10X with yours truly, David Knorr. Learn more at salescommunity.com slash events. That's salescommunity.com slash events. Welcome back to another episode of the Tech Sales Insight Podcast. Along with Randy Seidel, I'm your co-host, David Knorr. I want to welcome to our episode this week, Jeff Casale. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, David. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Jeff, for those who may not know as much about you or your background, can you take us a few minutes through your journey, where you've been, what you've done? Sure. Be happy to do it. So the I would say the first chunk of my career, probably about 10 years, was traditional sales, bag-carrying rep in first-line management, both at EMC and then subsequently a smaller startup company for about four years. Next step was back to EMC. It was about a 10-year run that was all international. So I spent part of that time in Europe based in France and the other portion of that in Latin America. And then that sort of wound myself from the east coast of the U.S. over to the west coast. I ended up at VMware for the next five years running the Americas. And then the last one, which I just wrapped up, was Dell. I was working at Dell Technologies after they acquired uh, EMC and VMware as part of that. So what's next? What are you most excited about? What are you seeing in the market? What lights you up in kind of that next chapter? You know what? I'll end up in an operating role. I'm talking to a bunch of companies now, so I'm going to narrow one down here pretty quick. But I'll tell you, David, I, I really enjoy just using this time to get exposure to a lot of different companies and, and use it as a learning opportunity to really understand what's happening, what are the trends, and where are some of the exciting places to, to end up. I love that. And I often coach executives instead of, you know, if you've been used to doing this for so many years, you want to jump from one job to another versus, you know, I think you mentioned I called it a transition year to really look and, and see what else is out there. So, Jeff, in terms of where you've been, what you've done, can you think of two or three examples in your career that you believe have had a profound impact on you? Wow, David, that's a great question. And there's so many. So let me just, I'll just probably net out one that jumps out. Very early in my career, it was probably within the first uh, couple of months at EMC when I was selling. And I ended up on a sales call with Dick Egan, the E and EMC and the founder. And I was kind of blown away that he ended up on the call. It was, I think, because one of the engineers couldn't make it. And the net of that was I, you know, he did phenomenal, obviously. And afterwards, I thanked him profusely. And he kind of turned around, matter of fact, and said, hey, don't thank me. Everyone in the company sells. And that had a, I didn't really absorb it at the time, but it sort of changed the trajectory of the way I thought about selling. Instead of being the single guy out there, you know, trying to do what you can, you leverage the entire company. And that was the philosophy at EMC. And it, it's sort of been the mantra that I've used ever since then. You know, everybody sells. In our conversation, you told me a great story about Arkansas. Was that one of your first jobs? Share that story of just how did you end up there and what was the experience? 
Well, I, I think you must have got me at a weak moment because if I told you that story, I probably cried after since it's such a dark, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a dark period. So I, that, I would say there's highlights and lowlights, but in reality, the lowlights become the highlights over time just because you learn so much. So the story you're, you're referring to was one of my first role at EMC. I ended up, I thought I was going to end up in Dallas. And then my boss quickly told me that I had Arkansas. And for a guy from Boston, that was not exactly high on my list of, of places I wanted to sell. So I ended up going for my first week of sales calls in, in Arkansas. My boss was excited. He told me to come with me and, and we would meet the customers. And then I realized very quickly he was not on the plane. <laughs> that was that's not that's not a good start. I got there, I called him, he put me on speakerphone and everyone had a good laugh and he said, "Hey, something to the effect of, hey jackass, we don't have any customers in Arkansas. Good luck and, you know, basically don't come back until you sell something." So I ended up I found a local waffle house. For those of you who haven't been there, great waffles. And they also have a payphone and yellow pages, and that's how I started my career at EMC, working out of the waffle house. I was laughing so hard when you first told me that story. And it's one of those classic ones of where's our office? We don't have an office. You know, yeah. what customers am I seeing? We don't have any of those. <laughs> it's yeah. a testament, I think, to your to your resilience. So in thinking about, you know, you said this transition year, you, you just left a a big job at, at Dell. You're seeing a lot of really interesting companies. What are you seeing in the market? What what's happening? What gets you excited about companies that are either thinking or leading differently? So, you know, David, I'm seeing two big categories of companies, both, you know, flourishing, and I think they're obvious categories. I mean, one, being out here in the West Coast, you have the classic high growth, losing money, high growth, reaching for the moon sort of company, Series A, Series B, in, a, in an exciting place. And then the other category is private equity. There's so much private equity money that's out there right now. If a company is not in high growth mode, and it's throwing off a little bit of cash, you know, you see them getting scooped up pretty quickly. And that's a different trajectory. And so those are the two types of sort of categories that I'm seeing, the high growth and the in the PE owned firms. And in terms of the pandemic and the market, are you thinking that sales organizations, how should they change? How do you believe they should adapt? Because Jeff, we're not able to go see clients, right? We're not able to have the dinners. We're not able to have the events and there's no demo days and there's no trade shows. And so how would you guide a, a B2B enterprise tech sales team to adapt to this very different environment in selling? Yeah, I, I think it is absolutely, it's a fundamental shift. I'm probably on the extreme, David, from I think what some of my colleagues think. I, I don't think it goes back to any semblance of what it was. I think we end up with a, a a radically different view of how you optimize the selling motion, minimizing as much kind of in-person, you know, sort of meetings and inter interactions as possible. And, and David, I think it's from a number of facets. I mean, one of them is, you know, clearly a lot more, as we have seen, can be done remotely, virtually, leveraging Zoom and all the other tools that are coming up. I mean, I, I think that's that's pretty clear. But the other thing that's happening is I know a lot of the customers that I had sold to, they've moved. Some, you know, they were in New York and now they're in Colorado and they were in San Francisco and now they're in Utah and those aren't going to swing back. So the whole notion that you're going to easily go to an office once, you know, the time is right and all the people are going to be at a table, 
I think that has fundamentally changed. Which by definition means we better elevate not just our digital capabilities and competencies, but ways we engage a very diverse set of buyers now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, I mean, just think of everything that you and I have sort of grown up seeing, right? The Las Vegas annual experience, right? You all go there and you have your meetings and your kickoffs and your events. You know, we're going to have Las Vegas without the hangover. You know, it's going to be virtual. And guess what? It's going to be pretty cost effective. And, you know, for I would say 80% of those companies, the relationships already existed. So did you really need to get together again? I think where the in-person is going to be critical and where it's going to be trickier is when you're creating new relationships for the first time. And I think companies that figure out ways to do that and get good at it remotely are going to accelerate. Tools that enable you to do that, I think, are going to accelerate. But yeah, I think it's going to be a fundamental shift to moving more of the cost of sales out. And I think if you're a CFO, think of it, David, if you're a CFO today and you've seen your T&E plummet and your sales are still doing okay, any chance he's going to bring that budget back up to where it was pre-pandemic? You know, I don't think so. So I think it's going to cause everybody to have to rethink the selling motion and how you optimize it. The other thing I'm finding, I'm talking to several clients who, Jeff, this is massively disrupting commercial real estate, right? Because people don't need the offices and they're not renewing all that office space. One CEO told me less than 40% of his his folks he believed needed to come back. Yeah. And I think you're going to see that, you know, at Google, you probably saw, had an interesting announcement the other day. They're moving to these, at least to some extent, to some regional pods. And so I think what you're going to see is, is the HR organizations assess where did everybody move to? You know, you're going to start to see, okay, Denver, you know, a bunch of people ended up there. A bunch of people ended up in South Carolina. And I think, I think you'll have these smaller remote pods that people can go in and collaborate as needed. But I think it's going to be fairly rare to have the major headquarters. And, and I also think, especially for Silicon Valley companies, you know, it just hasn't been economically viable to support that sort of cost structure anyway. So in thinking about your background at EMC and at VMware and Dell, Jeff, did you think of or can you think of some of the most compelling attributes of top tech sales professionals? What does that cream of the crop do exceptionally well? Yeah, geez, there's so many, there's so many examples of that. I mean, I'd have to say, I'll probably pull out a couple of different things. If you look directly at what I would consider to be high-end sales executives covering, you know, let's call them enterprise accounts where you're doing multi-million dollar enterprise sort of deals, you know, the ones that clearly set themselves apart from everybody else are the ones that are getting to a trusted advisor status with their customers. And, and what I mean by that is they've moved completely beyond you know, they have the product knowledge and the training, they understand the solution and the motion, but they've become so deeply embedded in what their customer and their stakeholders require to be successful that they go out and learn about other products, other companies, other things that could be done in addition to whatever they're selling to allow the customer to be successful. And so inevitably they become this incredible resource and the customer trusts in them. And they trust that, listen, if there's something your product's not going to do for me, you're not going to sell it. And you'll tell me that. And if I'm looking at other companies, I'll come to you. And it becomes a partnership in helping that company be successful. So I think that one aspect stands out to me if we're talking about sort of top tech 
high-end salespeople. Let me ask you the same question for sales management and sales leadership. What do you believe sets the exceptional ones apart from their peers? So people talk a lot about EQ, and I think you can't overstate that. Anyone who has worked for a leader who has high self-awareness, it's very tough to end up working for somebody that doesn't. It's just a dramatic shift. But I think the next evolution is when you see a leader that has very high EQ and also really espouses the sort of servant leadership philosophy. And and to me, that's just to net that out. It's the leader who really believes it is about the team. They're there to serve the team. And when there's an opportunity for that executive meeting or a little bit of glory when you're in front of that customer or the CEO is joining, you always defer to how do I push that towards the team? So you, you minimize yourself as sort of the center of the universe as a leader and you diffuse that and you're constantly removing obstacles for your team. That, that, that to me is really what sets apart you know, great leadership from good leadership. If I'm looking to change companies, can I see that servant leader behaviors during the interview process, during the dating before we get married? You know, I'd say, as you know, David, with an interview, you know, I like an interview is a bit to acting. The person that's interviewing, I think, is going through a little bit of acting, sort of trying to put on what they think the, the customer is looking for or the prospective employer. And sometimes you get the same thing on the other side. You know, we have tools now we didn't have before. You can go to Glassdoor. It's not perfect, right? But you can read the reviews. You can get a sense for it. To me, there's nothing better than finding somebody that's either a trusted resource or at least one step away who works at the company. Everything else, you can kind of sort of put window dressing around. But I think you talk to somebody who's at that company and ask them what it's like day to day. Let's stay on the talent conversation. Do you believe this pandemic has made finding, attracting, you know, developing, elevating sales, sales management talent easier or more difficult? And why? I think it's made it a lot more challenging just because the paradigm is is sort of shifted completely, right? We used to have this traditional model, especially in selling. You'd bring in your inside sales team. They'd be in a pen together. They'd both be learning the basic skills. And then they'd also be migrating outside. And then you've got this ecosystem with a district manager and you're doing ride-alongs in the car and then you're learning there and then you move up the chain. It's, it's a fairly traditional path. And I think that's upside down now, just as we talked about earlier. So I think what you're going to see much more of is people finding new, interesting and creative ways to be able to create engagement with their community. And I can talk a little bit more about what I mean by that. But I I think this is really going to be a fundamental shift in how people attract and retain talent. Yeah, I'm curious about the whole community conversation. Say more about that. So if you just think about what happens today and what's happening in most companies, we've got a lot of people sitting alone in their homes and they're trying to sell. And they're doing it in a very solitary environment. And your boss might get on Zoom and he might try to have some sort of interaction with you. But I think what you're going to move to is something that's going to look a lot more like what happens when we're at home and we're bored and we go exercise on, say, a Peloton. And then suddenly for that hour, we have this unbelievably immersive experience where there's somebody that's talking, there's a leaderboard, there's all this information letting you know how you're doing in these inputs. And it almost has that feel of this social media experience and you're engaged. And I think that's going to move to that will become the model for selling. You're going to end up with you know Zoom on steroids. 
we're going to start to have all of these experiences together where it's going to become very natural and very easy to integrate and get data real time. I think you're going to see a lot more gamification. You're going to see people finding all of these different interesting ways, both to absorb and learn and also to stay energized in the field and train. This uh, segment of our episode is brought to you by Peloton. <laughs> if you don't own one. Right? That's right. do, I great... get a, do I get a free one? I've been trying. As, I've been waiting. As soon as Randy Seidel takes his cut, yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, the other aspect you and I talked about that I was really curious about is I asked you, you know, how do you learn? How do you grow? We had the conversation around, I believe, one of the biggest challenges for really seasoned leaders is if you become stagnant, if you become complacent because you're no longer valuable to your relationship. So talk about, and you brought up, you know, out of your comfort zone and you brought up the arc of five years. Talk about how you learn, how you grow. I mean, I think of it probably in two different levels, David. I mean, one level is the separate from the learning that you're doing while you're in a job, just how you think about your career and how you think about your moves. And the out of the comfort zone comment really comes down to you think about your experiences, mine, most people you talk to. You learn the most when you're a little bit in over your head. And just that energy that comes from being able to try to keep up and try to learn and drink from a fire hose. And it's easy in careers to get to the point where you're at steady state. You pretty much have it under control. You understand what you're doing. You have the territory of the region. And I think although that's fine and that's the point you want to get to, you've got to quickly recognize it and then go jump back into the deep end. Go find those jobs or those roles or those transitions that are going to really challenge you because you can stagnate very quickly. Is that where your arc of five years comes from? Every five years or so, you've kind of, I don't want to say you're quite on autopilot, but you've figured it out and now it's time to kind of make that next leap? Yeah, I, I think it's different for everybody. And I think today, if you're in a super high growth environment, you know, these this, this may be a much more condensed schedule. If I just look at my career, you know, it takes a while to get your arms around something, to learn the environment, to scale. And then if you want to operationally impact a business and turn around and show somebody that you actually were successful, I think you need to show some sort of an arc, right? To tell somebody I went in in a year and I did all these incredible things, it's not believable. And anyone that's run a business knows it isn't. So whether it's three or four or five years, I think there has to be a meaningful time where you went in, you recognized a problem, you can explain how you tackled it, the team that you put in place, and then show some meaningful return over a period of time to show it wasn't a one-time thing. And then I think you get to a point that is a steady state, whether it's three or four. For me, just a, it ironically seems to be right around five, where you've got to go make that next leap and jump and make sure that you're then learning again. And ideally do it in something that's a little bit different, You know, whether it's a little bit of a different company or a little bit of a different geography. There's a lot of different ways to test yourself even within the same company, but you've got to change some of the environments that you're in. Can you think of a manager that shared an advice or a piece of coaching? I, I love the Dick Egan kind of everybody sells but something that is that really shaped the manager and the leader that you you've become. There's so many. I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate. You know, the the long list of just amazing leaders that I've had the opportunity to work with. But I'll just one that I think of a lot is Joe Tucci, who who was the the CEO of EMC for a long time, and he would reiterate often, especially when he was in front of a team or even a small group, that you know your team picks their leader. 
So there's a point in time where you may be, you know, you're, you're going to be selected for a role, right? You might get promoted and you're a district manager, or you're a vice president, or even in Joe's case, you're a CEO. And that may seem a little bit like sort of a dictatorship move that somebody just appointed you. But at some point, it's going to shift and your team picks who they want their leader to be. And they pick that through the level of respect they have for you, the intensity in which you support them and lead them. And I have always thought of that, you know, in any environment when I've led a team, you'd never take it for granted. And I view it as, hey, would they vote for me tomorrow as their leader? Because really, that's what matters. Is that you brought up Glassdoor earlier? Is that where the glass, if the Glassdoor was the brand of the executive, those along the same lines of ideas? Yeah, I think it's very similar. I mean, I think brand, I think you've got a section, you know, on brand, but I think as a leader, you have a brand and you emanate that and people either want to follow you or they don't based on your brand. And I think that's a little bit what Joe Tucci was sort of getting to. But if you just think of it in terms of, you know, you can go on Glassdoor now and you can check the brand of a CEO. You know, they have a rating. Now, again, it's not perfect and that's just one, but there's all these others, right? Best companies to work for. When you move out of the CEO realm, there's not a glass door right now to go say, hey, you know, how is Steve? What do people think of him? Do they want to work for him? But you can imagine in the not too distant future, there might be that. But I think regardless, behave as if there is, right? If at any point somebody was able to go online and look at you and figure out what sort of an impact have you had on the arc of your career, all the people that you've interfaced with, touched, worked with, what would they generally say about you? And yeah, you may have outliers that you disagree with, but you can't disagree with the narrative. And what would that be? Love that. Uh, you know, how can we all be more intentional about uh, the careers we develop and the people we attract and develop and nurture and, and really create not just a transactional interaction, but a transformational one? So going back again, you know, this is Jeff going back to the Arkansas days. Yeah. Are there two, three pieces of advice you would give Jeff of 20 years ago, of 30 years ago? What, what do you wish you knew then that you've, you've earned? I, I remind my kids that I didn't paint on the gray hair, right? I've earned every one of the wrinkles. So what advice would you give yourself 20 years ago, 30 years ago? So I, I think one of them is it's easy to look back now on that Arkansas experience and laugh, and I do all the time, and also realize the powerful impact it had in terms of resilience and grit and by overcoming it, the things that I learned. But at the time, none of that was, was part of the equation. It was just dark and depressing. And so, you know, I wish at that point I had had a little bit more perspective. You know, if somebody had sort of said, hey, listen, Jeff, this is definitely a dark time, but, you know, could you possibly look back on this in the future and laugh? Is there anything about this that's kind of humorous? I mean, you're at a payphone you know, waiting in line behind a truck driver to make a cold call. That's got to be a good one-liner at some point in the future. And I think if you can put things in perspective, it's going to help a lot more because these, the, the darker points you're going to have in your career, I think are going to end up being the most valuable. You grew VMware to three and a half billion. You grew the Dell, you know, piece to 10 billion plus. Uh, is there anything you would have done differently in those leadership roles? Yeah, I, I would say probably one of the most consistent criticisms I've given myself after any sort of leadership journey when I go back and look at it is I wish I moved faster. You know, there's always this balance between assessing the environment you're in, 
and then putting a strategy in place and then executing against it. And I think the sense of urgency and the ability to act decisively, don't wait until you have all the information and all the facts. You're going to have to rely on your gut. You're going to have to trust the team that you're with. And you're going to make mistakes anyway, so fail fast. Go in it with almost sort of an agile methodology mindset where we're going to go in there and we're going to get this kind of 70% right and we'll figure out the rest as we go along. So I would say probably the, the biggest thing is around just speed and, and moving quickly. A mentor has driven into me, perfection is the enemy of progress. When you're 80% ready, move, right? You'll yeah. figure out the remaining 20% as you go. So, so for our last question, I'm going to give you an option. One great story about Randy Seidel, since he did your introduction, or uh, what do you do for fun outside of work? All right, let me take the Randy one just because uh, this is it's too much to pass up. Keep, so, keep in uh, mind, this is a family-oriented show. <laughs> <laughs> you, you brought up Vegas. So. <laughs> so so first of all, I mean, I think everyone on the podcast knows this, but if you don't know Randy, I mean, he is the most efficient human on the planet just in terms of optimizing his time. He's he's a very successful, built an incredible business, and, and he's able to do it by just – you know, figuring out ways to still manage to ski many months of the year and, and run this business. And I figured out how the last time we were skiing together, I made the huge mistake. And if anyone skis with Randy, it's a, it's an incredible experience. He's a great skier, but don't get on the chairlift with him, especially if it's a long chairlift ride, because I thought this is great. I haven't seen Randy. We're going to be here bonding on the chairlift ride up. He starts talking. So I start talking back. And he looks at me and gives me the signal. He's got the earpiece in. And then I learned that day, <laughs> that's the entire day. If you're not moving down the hill at a high velocity, you're on a con call. How he schedules these and plans them for the ride up, but they last the whole ride up. And so we had a lot of laughs with that. But yeah, Randy is you know just, just phenomenal at figuring out how to maximize every minute. Has he always taken notes on, on these small pieces of papers and back of business, you know, people's business cards? And has he always carried the big binder of notes around with him? Is that a multi-year approach to capturing ideas? Yeah, I, I call Randy the most networked human on the planet. There might be someone else. I don't know who it is, but I think it's all related to this, you know, extensive system of sticky notes and binders and everything else that he's been able to combine. So absolutely. I love it. I love it. Jeff, I want, on behalf of our audience, I want to thank you for the gift of your time. Thank you for your ideas. You've been listening to Jeff Casali, board advisor, a long, long time senior executive in some marquee, marquee brands. We wish you all the best in the next chapter. Fantastic. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. If you've listened to the Tech Sales Insights recently, you've heard that we're adding a ton of content, best practices, and are scheduling regular virtual sessions such as Tuesdays with Tony and your 10x interactive online roundtables I'll lead each month. Randy and the sales community team have done a fabulous job attracting over 200 CROs, VPs of sales, and thousands of sales professionals, managers from global tech companies. So we invite you to jump in, ask questions, start conversations. Make sure you attend some of these events to elevate your thinking, expand your perspective, and extend your network with other tech sales professionals.
I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jeff Casale. Here are the three norm notes as summary insights you can immediately apply in three minutes or less. Number one, I love his story of Dick Egan, the E and EMC, telling this young rep, everyone in the company sells. That has to become the mantra of any successful organization. There are no delineations between us and them. It's we. And if we're going to succeed, everybody in the company sells. I also couldn't stop laughing about his story of uh, going to Arkansas as a new rep and making sales calls from a payphone at Waffle House. What did he say? Looking back now at that you know, painful experience with a little more perspective, it was some of the best learning and growth opportunities he had very early on in his career. So it's a, it's absolutely a demonstration of his grit and resolve to succeed. And I think something that's increasingly missing from a lot of our sales culture moving forward. I hope I'm wrong. Number two, from Google moving to regional pods to the notion of working from anywhere, uh, I agree that it's rare to have major headquarters. They're not economically viable cost structures. So really important to think about What have you learned during this pandemic that you believe will continue to help you succeed on the other side of it? Some of you may know I was on the road 200 plus days uh, pre-pandemic. I just can't see going back to that. I think we've learned how incredibly productive we all can be remotely, virtually, but you need to think very differently and you need different tools and you need to show up with yet digital presence and really work on building and nurturing your digital relationships differently. So start now thinking about what will you have to do differently on the other side of this pandemic to sustain, hopefully, reignite your growth. Number three, exceptional sales leaders. What did he describe them as? Not just emotionally intelligent and the whole EQ world, but I also really appreciated his comment about evolution of servant leadership. Uh, Not leaders who just believe it's about the team, but they also are there to serve the team. And they minimize, what did he say, self as center of the universe to really bolster the success of the team. You can talk about servant leadership. You can even believe it. But if it doesn't show up in how you engage others, how you treat others, how you uh, coach, mentor on a daily basis, might as well just be a title. So I would encourage, and, and this isn't about a title. This is about how you carry yourself, how you behave, how you think. Uh, and really serve others. Don't forget two quick points. Randy Saddle and I host each week's guest at a Twitter chat. We're at noon Eastern today with Jeff. So search Twitter for Tech Sales Insights for the latest updates. And number two, we turn these show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So check them out at salescommunity.com. We're so thankful for our listeners on the Tech Sales Insights and want to keep producing great content you want to hear. So we'd love to hear your feedback in the Sales Community podcast thread or email podcast at salescommunity.com. Also, don't forget to follow the Sales Community on the various social media channels for our latest updates using the hashtag Tech Sales Insights.